0: curious how many wore shoes today it's good Be a little cold without those how many does anybody have any any nikes on a pair of nikes all right here's the deal if, if you're comfortable with this and, and you don't have too bad of a foot odor I, i'm not i'm not gonna i won't tell everybody if you do we might want to throw their nike up here on the stage and let me just kind of display it anybody I, my buddy here is gonna brian thanks oh man look at that shoe that is that is awesome you're a basketball player. Look at that. That is awesome. That's like two of mine. Can you dunk, man? Okay, that's good. Um, we just need a little display here. I've got a, I've got a Nike box here. and um, I've been doing some some study into the organization Nike, because I'm kind of fascinated with Nike stuff. I just like it a whole lot. And um, as I was kind of re- doing some research, I, I learned that back in 1988, there was a, a group of Nike employees along with their ad advertising agency called Wyden and & Kennedy, and they were sitting in a conference room. And at the time, Reebok was Nike's greatest competitor. And so as any organization would do, they were sitting, uh, talking and strategically creating and planning on how they could continue to be successful as an organization, how they can pass their competitors, and ultimately how they can bring in more worldwide sales and revenue. And so as they're sitting there, this guy, Dan Wyden, who... It was his ad agency, Wyden & Kennedy, he was speaking admirably to the Nike employees of their, of their can-do-it attitude. They just have this aggressive, can get it done attitude. And at one point in the meeting, it's uh, reported that Dan Wyden said to them, you Nike guys, you just do it. You just do it. And uh, that began a, a campaign, an advertising campaign for Nike, almost 20 years ago, called the Just Do It campaign. How many of you guys have ever seen those words, like, plastered somewhere? Um, Here's a box. You know, this nice pair of Nike shoes came in, and it says, just do it. Those three words are all over the world. As a matter of fact, when they launched this campaign, they skyrocketed as an organization. They went from $877 million in worldwide sales to $9.2 billion between the years 1988 and 1998. $9.2 billion in worldwide sales of tennis shoes. Tennis shoes. I mean, this is tennis shoes we're talking about. And uh, I, I remember when I was in, in, like 9, 10 years old, there was something about Nike tennis shoes that were just so, like, uh, capturing. Like, I wanted a pair of Nike tennis shoes so bad. And I'm not complaining, and I'm not, you know, I'm so thankful that I had a pair of shoes to wear, period. And, uh, but, but there's one thing. Like, it, it seemed like I always had, like, the Air Voits or something. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, there's Nike, and then there's Nike Air, which is like a step up. And then there's like the Air Jordans. If you had the Air Jordans, like, you were the stuff. I mean, that was the shoe to have. But for me, I mean, and I'm not complaining, don't get me wrong, but... As a kid, you know, you, like, compare, and you like, you get the PlayStation 3, well, I got the Nintendo still. You know, it's like, you know, I wanted a pair of Nikes, and my Air Voids just weren't cutting it for some reason. I mean, and then they had, like, the Spalding pumps or something. They say pump them up, you run out, and it'll make you jump higher. And I pumped mine up, went out and jumped the first time, and they popped. I mean, it's like... <laughs> You know, I was like, I just want a pair of Nike shoes. And so I remember one Christmas, we're sitting around the Christmas tree, and in my family, we open presents one at a time. So literally, you sit there for hours in anticipation of what you have, because we have I have three other brothers and sisters and my two parents, and it was just we took our time. And it, if you came to Christmas with us, you'd probably get bored out of your mind, because it takes forever to get around. And and so I remember it was my turn. I saw the box, and it just I just had this feeling. This is going to be my first pair of Nikes. I can feel it. And I opened up the present, and sure enough. I could smell the new shoes. Do you guys like the smell of new shoes? Like, We'll be in the mall, Sarah and I, we'll just be walking, and I'll be like, let's just go in the shoe store, just so we can smell them. Like, we're not even going to buy any, we're just going to smell them. And I remember that day, I opened up my first pair of Nike tennis shoes. They were white, they had black and red trim, the Nike symbol, the swoosh, the just-do-it-on-the-box, and I was now an official Athlete. I mean, I was the stuff. And when I stepped onto the basketball court now, my confidence level skyrocketed, all because I had a pair of Nike tennis shoes. So that's my Nike story. Just had to share that with you. Um, the deal is, the just-do-it thing, for some reason, it worked for Nike. Matter of fact, last year, 2006, they, they, I think they hit $15.2 billion in worldwide sales in one year. Uh, and they have over 26,000 employees. And for them, it's all over a tennis shoe. Like, somebody was smart. I mean, they realized that everybody in the world was going to be wearing tennis shoes. So they're like, let's figure out how to be the best, or at least try to be the best, and number one, in making tennis shoes. And now, all other kinds of clothing apparel. And obviously, somebody was smart, and they tapped into a great market. Go for it, man. You know, I'd love to meet the, the, the guy who started Nike. That'd, you know, it would be a good friend to have, you know. He might come up with some Air Jordans. But, um, you know, it's just a cool thing to do. And I was thinking about those three words, just do it. And I was like, hmm. I wonder. I wonder what it'd be like if, if maybe like followers of Christ, you know, if believers, of the church, like, kind of launched into a, a just do it campaign, and not like a campaign where like you know we have banners flying all over the place and everybody's wearing a just do it button and, and whatever. I'm just talking about more like a like where just do it became like a lifestyle. Like that was the that was the motto for our lifestyle. And you, mean, you might be asking, like, what do you mean, just do it? Like, Nike, just do it, meant they were going to get really good at making tennis shoes so they could you know, be a great company. What does that mean, just do it for us as followers of Christ? Well, if you look in the passage today, smack dab in the middle, verse 22, it says, "...do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves." And it says, "...do what it says." And that sounds pretty clear to me, what, you know, what he's talking about. "...do what it says." He's talking about, "...do what the Word of God says." And I know that some of us are thinking, probably, you know, well, it, it's a lot easier said than done, of course. And, uh, and I'm just curious: Do you guys have ever questions in your mind, kind of, and they're kind of surrendered, surrounded around doubt? But I mean, do you ever have questions in your mind that kind of like, you know, why, why am I really even trying so hard to do right? Do you guys ever have any kind of thoughts like that run through your head? I mean, I do all the time, you know, or, or questions like. Uh, why, why am I trying to be somebody that naturally I'm just not? And I'm not talking about like personality-wise today. I'm t- I mean, you need to be yourself. You need to, whatever your personality is let that, come out. I'm talking more about how we respond to life situations. For instance, the natural way to respond to most most trials or most temptations or whatever, the natural way is pretty much like the majority of the people in the world Respond And, and that probably wouldn't be classified as a righteous or a holy response. You know, would you agree? And, and, and even Jesus told us, like it was no secret. He told us that that the righteous and, and the holy response to, to things in life are, are, is going to be the narrow road. You remember in Matthew chapter 7, he talked about, um, uh, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So I'm just curious. I mean, I wonder, do you ever have those kind of questions? Like, if, if Jesus just told me that the most difficult path is the, is the narrow path, is the small gate, okay, he flat out told us, then why do we choose, why do we choose that one instead of choosing the easy way? Have you ever thought about that? Like, do like, you ever think, like, who's really watching anyway? Like, I mean... Whatever, I'm, I'm saved. You know, I asked Christ to save me. So, but, but what's the big deal about, why can't I just take the easy road? I mean, do you ever think thoughts like that? I mean, as a church, why are we even here? Why are, we, why are you here today? I, I was here last week, and I saw a lot of your faces. And I look out today, and I, I see a lot of the same people that I saw last week. That was kind of cool. And next week, probably if we all come back, I, you probably see a lot of the same faces you do today. But why? Why are you here? Why just do it? Why do what the Word of God says? Why? And the answer is simple. But I believe if we don't know the answer, we can't move on. The answer is that God Himself desires that you and every other soul on the face of this planet fall in love with Him. That's the why. If you don't know the why, then today is just going to be a bunch of knowledge. And it's just going to be a bunch of information for you to retain. Honestly, we don't need more people that have Bible knowledge and Bible content. We do need that. That's very important. I mean, we're kind of in a biblically illiterate generation, and you need to know the Word. But if that's it, if that's the goal, like just to retain more Bible content, that's not enough. You now, the point is that the Bible, that the Word of God change us, that it calls us to be and do differently, that it calls true transformation in us. And until the Word of God begins to do that, it's nothing more than a just a bunch of knowledge. The Pharisees, they knew more of the Old Testament than anybody, yet they were always opposing Jesus. So that tells us flat out that it's not enough just to know the Word, but we've got to be doers of the Word. And that's what we're going to try to talk about today. So, if we could, um, just painting that picture, what would it look like if followers of Christ, His church, His bride, His body, launched into a Just Do It campaign? where we literally just started doing what the Word of God says. Why? Because we love them. (laughs) Because we love them. And because we love other people. The second greatest commandment. Alright, so here we go. Why don't we read... um, Let's read the first three verses together. Verse 19, 20, and 21. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. You know, James, he was the half-brother of Jesus, if you remember Steve teaching us that three weeks ago. And so, my guess is that James probably witnessed Jesus genuinely caring for people quite a bit. Would you say so, probably? Jesus. Hanging out with people, listening to people, having conversations with people. His life was about people. He came, his life was about glorifying God, but a way to do that was he came to be with people and to save people. And so Jesus was a pretty good listener, I think, and James learns that. And so he starts this passage out by saying, my dear brothers. Because he genuinely cared about the people that he knew would be reading this letter. So here we are, fast forward a few thousand years later, and we're sitting here talking about the letter that he wrote. I think he loved us. I think he cared about us. And he wants us to learn something. So he says, be, be quick to listen. Um, you know, in any area of, of, of learning and retaining knowledge, the way we learn is by listening and not by talking. And, you know, we are talking today about being doers of the word. But there's no way we can be a doer of the word until we've heard the word. And there's no way you can hear the word unless we listen. And there's no way you can listen unless sometimes we just shut up. <laughs> sometimes we just got to be quiet. Now, I'm saying that very boldly because I'm not very good at it, okay? Um, and I happen to work on a staff with some great listeners. I'm trying to learn from them. A few that come to mind are, are Joy Strong and Bill Robbins. They, you can sit with us guys for hours and pour your heart out, and they'll just listen to you. They're great listeners. Steve and Brian, excellent listeners. My father-in-law is a great listener. I'm not saying that to get points, um, he's, he might listen to this someday. If you listen to this, you're a great listener, Dad. I appreciate that. I mean, I could be riding in the car with him for ten minutes and just talking the whole time, and he'll listen to every word I have to say, and he'll hear what I said, and then he'll just like, respond with one sentence. And what he has to say was, like, blows me away, and I'm like, and I just talked for ten minutes and just rambled on forever. I think that if we want to learn how to listen to the Word of God, because that's what James is specifically talking about here, he's talking about hearing the Word of God then a good way to practice that is to listen to each other. Learn to be a good listener. Learn to, to listen to other people. Like Jesus listened to people. Let people pour, your heart, pour their hearts out. And when the Word of God is talked about and spoken and discussed, listen to what people have to say. And then he says, be slow to speak. Okay? And i, I got I actually got to give you one more story about the listening thing. I, I told you I'm not very good at this. Like I, I'll be, I don't know if anybody else can relate Maybe some, some of you men, I don't know. Um, but I'll be like locked in with Sarah. She'll be sitting on the couch, I'm on the chair, and we'll just be like, I'll be locked in, and I'm listening intently to to what she has to say, and she'll be just like telling me about something that she really wants to tell me about. And I'm, I'm, I'm locked in, I'm, I'm dead eye to eye, and, and I hear like the first, you know, 10 or 15 words, and then all of a sudden, I, I, and I don't know what happens, but my brain's like, over here. And like, and, and she'll be sitting there, and I, seriously, I think I have a problem. And I'll be just staring at her, and, and then all of a sudden she'll be like, yeah, did you hear what I said? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you, um, uh, yeah, um, basically, and she'll be like, you didn't even hear. And I get busted every single time. I mean, any other fellows in here have that deal? I, I seriously think we need to start a support group. And, and, and just help each other learn how to listen, like, but, but James here is talking about having a very attentive spirit to the Word of God. He's specifically talking about the Word of God. And so he wants us to be attentive to what the Word is saying. He wants us to hear it, be slow to speak, soak it in, re- retain it, and then let it, you know, obviously change us. And so, and then he says, and be slow to become angry. Now, we could talk about anger for three weeks straight. We could do a whole series on anger if we wanted to. It's, it's a natural emotion. We all experience it. Anger in and of itself is not a sin. But as James talks about in verse 20 here, he says, For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And so, you know, and so he talks about getting rid of it. Anger in this particular passage is not talking about an outburst of, of a temper. It's talking more of an inner deep resentment between that usually only you and God know about. And it's talking about when a scripture or a truth, when you hear that, and it disagrees with a sin or a conflict in your life, and a lot of times the flesh that's in us, it resents it. And, it does, and, it's, and it's because we don't want to change. And when that happens, sometimes we get angry, and we get upset and mad at God because we know we just got called out. We know the Word just found something in us that's not agreeing. And so what happens then is we harbor that, and that's where it becomes very dangerous. And and James obviously knows that here. He's writing to us and telling us that we need to be careful about this anger. And instead of resenting that when the Word of God is trying to change us, we need to let it happen. We need to let change happen in us. Otherwise, we can get mad, we can get bitter at God and harbor that in. And we know when we harbor anger, it becomes bitterness. And, um, I mean, can you relate to that at all? I know I can. Uh, It's happened plenty of times where the Word is just convicting. Um, All right, let's move on to verse uh, 21. Um, let's read that together. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. You know, he's talking here about being doers of the word. And when, when we say doers of the word, he's talking about where righteousness and holiness is produced in our lives. if like That is a result of the way we live. Um, but he's saying that the only way that the word of God is truly going to be able to to work in us is if we first get rid of some of the junk, okay? And so if we don't acknowledge that we even have sin in our life, it's like your salvation experience. If you t- are here today and you have began a relationship with Christ, I mean, where at one point you admitted and confessed that you were a sinner and that you needed Jesus to save you and, and pay, because He paid for your sins on the cross, you accept that. That's what I mean by a salvation experience. This is just like a salvation experience. Until the word of God, the word of God will not be able to work in us until we admit and then confess and renounce that we have sin. Um, I paint on the side. I've, I've kind of done that since I was thirteen years old, and uh, you know, it's, it you know it's, it helps you know pay for diapers or whatever. But so so um, I've done a lot of exterior jobs. Not at this time of year, at least up here in Ohio. This is ridiculous. You can't paint outside at this time of year. Georgia, yeah, you can, but not in Ohio. (laughs) And so, at this, you know, but when we go to do an exterior job, 99% of the time, before we ever apply one ounce of paint on the exterior trim or face here or whatever, there's dirt and there's mildew that has to be removed, and so... Usually the first day or so is nothing but bleaching and scrubbing and power washing the mildew and the residue and, the, and just the corruption that's on the exterior of a house. And if we don't take care of that initially, then when we go to put the, the, end, the final result, the finished coat of paint on it, it will not turn out the way we want it to. The end result will not be desirable as the way we wanted it to. And it's the same way in our lives that if truly the Word of God is going to get into us and work in us, then we've got to get rid of sin and get rid of moral filth that's in our lives. The word moral filth, there's a Greek word for it, okay? I'm not a Greek scholar, but I studied this part. The the word is called ruparia. It's R-H-U-P-A-R-I-A, ruparia. And it's the term used referring to wax in the ear that impairs hearing. Okay, so I have an earwax story real quick I'm going to share with you. After I get a drink of water. Anybody got water? Let's all drink at the same time. Mm. So good. Um, okay, so sometimes I get to be a part of leading musical worship times here by playing or singing or whatever, and we use these in-ear monitors that help us hear what we're playing and, and singing, so hopefully, you know, we're actually on key. And uh, I remember one specific time, I was it was a rehearsal on a Thursday night, and I was... Playing the keyboard or guitar or something, and, and, and I remember I could hear really good out of this ear, but out of this ear, I couldn't hear anything. And I was just getting frustrated. I'm like, I'm going to go deaf in this ear, and, or whatever. And so I was telling the audio technicians, I was like, guys, I need you to help. I need you to fix my, my in ears. And then it dawned on me. I pulled it off, and I pulled off my earbud that goes onto it, and I realized I hadn't cleaned it off in like three or four weeks. And so it's kind of gross, isn't it? There's earwax in the middle of it. It's crusty, and it fell off. <laughs> so, and it was impairing my hearing. I almost brought Q-tips for everybody. I, I, I just thought, like, and play with me for a second, Like, you know how they do foot washing in the Bible? They wash each, I was thinking we could just clean each other's ears. Can you see everybody just like doing the Q-tips on both sides of them? It would be hilarious. I'm glad I didn't bring those, though. That would have been ugly. But this is what James is talking about here. The moral filth, it, it's, if it's in our lives, it's impairing our hearing. And there's no way we can truly hear the Word of God and what it has to say if there's stuff blocking our hearing. And so the moral filth, and he says flat out, he says, you've got to get rid of it. There's no room for that. You've got to get rid of that so you can hear the Word. And then he goes on to say, then you've got to humbly accept the Word that is planted in you, which can save you. Wow. You've got to humbly hear the Word of God. Um you know it it takes humility to admit that you even need help would you guys admit that I mean, would, you, would you would you you know i mean would you agree with that like it takes humility to even ask somebody to help you like it takes humility to even recognize that you need help it takes humility to receive the help it takes humility to receive the scriptures and the word of god um there's, there's a line actually that we sing in a song, we, we sang it last week I think, it's called From the Inside Out, and the line in the song just says, your will, your will above all else, still my purpose remains, the art of losing myself and bringing you praise. And James is saying here that if, if we want to hear the word of God and we want it to change us, then there's got to be an art of being selfless. Um, there's got to be an art of being teachable. Have you ever met somebody that is just not teachable? Yeah? i 'm that way sometimes isn 't it aggravating because it 's like you know you know the answer or you know how to help them, but they they 're not open to that they, they don't even want, they don 't want your help and it 's a level of pride and I'm, I mean I know I deal with it, we probably all do it sometimes, but James is saying here that we 've got to be teachable, and if we don 't even recognize our need for help and recognize our need for scripture to change us then it 's not going to change us because we 're not going to receive it so that 's what he 's saying there um, let 's move on to verse twenty two And let's read 22 through 25 together, okay? Do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word, but does not do what it says, is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at his face, and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Um, the other day, Sarah and I were walking around Easton, and we went into the store called Restoration Hardware. Anybody familiar with that? Um, <clears throat> they've got like all these different kinds of gadgets and just really neat things. Like there's this one fork that like you can stretch it out five feet long, and like you meet in a restaurant and you like reach across the table and pull people's food off their plate. <laughs> I used the tracings one time. That's how I knew about that. But anyway, so we're, we're in the back of the store, and um, Sarah finds one of these these mirrors that like, you, you look at it, and it like magnifies your face by seven times. And here's the thing, like, and I'm not trying to be mean to myself, okay? I know it was beautifully and wonderfully made. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but I know that I have somewhat of a large nose. And so Sarah puts this mirror in my face, and I'm like, holy cow. Is that what people see every week? It blew me away, and I'm like, holy cow, that's amazing. And, um, <laughs> yeah, go, go check it out sometime in Restoration Hardware. It's pretty neat. But it's the same deal. So when we look into a mirror, we see our outward appearance. We see any blemishes. We see what color our eyes are. We see how long our eyelashes are. We see if there's any nose hairs hanging out, which hopefully there are not today. And, and you know, we see everything about our outward appearance. And it's the same way when we look at the Word of God, and the Word of God looks back into us, it points out things in our lives that maybe be out of line it shows us the true condition of our heart it shows us where there's sin in our lives but james is saying here if you let the word of god look into your life but then you casually go away and you forget casually forget the spots and the sins that it just showed you that were in you then it's not doing anything it's not it's like it's like looking in a mirror and then walking away and forgetting what you look like and we all know that, that, that that's not that's not what Needs to happen here. The word of God has got to change us. And so, and, and the thing I love about this, and there's a lot of names and or words described to, to describe the Bible and describe the Word of God, but in this particular verse, He calls it the perfect law that gives freedom. That to me is amazing. Um, John eight thirty one and thirty two says, uh, "Those who hold to my teachings, they are truly my disciples." And then it says, "And you will know the truth, and the truth." Will set you free. And if I know anything about human beings, and I happen to be one, and I happen to hang out, with, you know, I hang out with a lot of them quite a bit, if I know anything about human beings, then I know and you know that we like to be free. Like, we don't like to be tied down. We don't like to be held captive or in bondage to anything. And that's what the amazing thing about His Word is is that it sets us free. Like, that is, that is how freedom enters our life. That is how we get set free. He tells us, if you follow my teachings and you know the truth, then that truth will set you free. And that is the cool thing. But the sad thing is, I, and I've met people like this, there, there are people out there who, who are lost, okay, who have not yet began a relationship with the Lord. There might be people here today. but And they see followers of Christ, following Christ, but as if they're following Christ out of this big duty or this obligation. Like it's a bunch of do's and don'ts and a bunch of rules and regulations, instead of it being a loving, passionate relationship with the Lord. And sadly enough, I think that that's turning some people away. And I think it's there's some, there are people out there who don't yet know God who are, have been jaded by what Christ life with Christ is really like. And it's because maybe some of us have lived at times like this is just one big duty to fill, to fulfill, or this big obligation. Like following Jesus is just like, you know, man, instead of it being a, wow, I just, I love him so much. As a matter of fact, he, he, he did everything for me. He gave his life for me. He doesn't owe me anything. I owe him everything. And I think that that's where the light of the world, which is to be us, he is the light, but he is in us. So we are supposed to be the light. That's where the light is going to shine in the darkness is when we start living, not out of duty and obligation, but out of passionate love. And that's where us, the church, have got to realize that it is about being in love with Christ. It's about being in love with God. And I'm not even talking, and when we're in love with Him, we'll want to do what He says. And I'm not even talking about just doing, like doing. I'm talking about more of a state of of, of being, like of who I am. And who I am is a person who is in love with Jesus. And who I am is someone who's been set free by His grace, by His redeeming grace. And who I am is someone that just wants to honor Him and do what He says because I love Him so much. That's who I am. And therefore, because what He's done in my life, I want to give Him back and I want to do what He says. Let's look at uh, verse 26 and 27. Let's read that together. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world verse 26 talks about the tongue and uh, we really we're not going to be able to hit that a whole lot today but in a, in a few weeks we're going to be in James chapter 3 and we're going to do a whole message on the power and the dangers of the tongue and how it can bless people and how it can curse people and how it can tear down and it can build up. And there the tongue, the words we use are so powerful. They can destroy or they can edify. And we're going to be talking a whole we're going to spend a whole morning, a whole weekend talking about words, the words we use. Until then, think about what you say. The tongue, it's a dangerous thing. Think about every word that comes out of your mouth. And then lastly, here in verse 27, James closes this chapter out by talking about how we can truly reach out and help people in need. He says orphans and widows, people that are in distress, people that are in need. And um, we, uh, first of all, before I say this, you need to know that as a part of the leadership team of this church, we know that you are very generous. You are the body, and you continually reach out to touch people with your time, with your talents, with, with your money. And you need to know that we know that. And, and there's times when we bring opportunities where to give money and to give of your time. You need to know that we're not always just trying to get the money that you have. We, we know people, money's tight for lots of people. and We understand that. But you need to also know that as long as we're on the face of this earth and trying to fulfill the great commission that God called us to do, we're probably going to keep on bringing opportunities for us to reach out. And when those happen, like this morning, you're, I'm about to tell you about a couple things. You, need to just, you just need to know that, that there's not pressure from, from anybody. You just need to listen to the Lord. That's what I challenge and encourage each of us. to Listen and just obey. And if He tells you to give, then give. He'll always bless you. Bless you. He'll always give back. And so, that said, I just, and I'm not trying to do that to butter you up. To, I, just, I just wanted you to know that we know that you are a generous people. And that's, that's amazing. It's such a testimony. And so, um, anyway, uh, back three weeks ago... Myself, my wife, and, and 10 others from New Life, Gahanna, and 16 students from Ohio State, New Life, OSU. We got to go down to Atlanta, Georgia for an event called Passion of Seven. Um, Passion is actually, a lot of the music we sing has been produced by Passion. It's, it's really a movement. And it's a movement of college students and young people celebrating the fame and the greatness of God. That's, that's what it's all about. And we had an amazing four-day event. A few people over here went. And it was just it was amazing. Some people from our church even just went and paid their way just to volunteer it was, it was awesome. And um, so here we are, 22,000 college students celebrating the greatness of God. And we had some opportunities there to, re- to give and to reach out and to pledge to give, to, to touch people all over the world. I have here in my hand something that looks like a Bible. And I, I'm just curious, if, if everybody brought their Bible today, and every Bible that you own in your house, I've probably got 10 of them leaning around. If we all brought our Bibles and we set them on the stage, I bet we'd fill the stage up with how many copies of the Word of God that we have. Well, as you can see, this definitely looks like a Bible, but as I thumb the pages there, there's nothing in it. So really, it's just a book. It's not a Bible right now. This would represent what the uh, people group in southernmost Indonesia, if you guys have that map, just throw that up there. There's a people group in the southernmost island of Indonesia, on the Rote Island, and they're called the Dela people. And they speak the language of Dela. And the the, the interesting thing about this is that they have no Bible in their language. None. They represent one of many people groups that still do not have a copy of the Word of God. That's sad. So, the opportunity at Passion was to raise $150,000 so that we could translate the whole New Testament in the book of Genesis for the dela people. It takes about 10 years. They're two years into it, but they need funds. It costs about $2,000 for 100 verses to be translated. It's about $20 a verse. One of our own uh, just graduated from Ohio State. Her name is Anjali Kler. She, she goes here. She kind of, by faith, like slipped off away from everybody. And she went and signed up and pledged our church to raise $2,000 to translate 100 verses. Just kind of by faith, did it. You know, she didn't really ask for permission. It's easy to ask, easier to ask forgiveness than it is for permission. So, <laughs> you know, she by faith went and did it, and it was amazing. And um, it actually, it's pretty cool. They give you the verses when you when you pledge to give. They give you the the verses that you're going to be helping to translate with your money. And the verses that they gave us were James two, verse twenty six through First Peter two, nineteen. I thought that was just kind of cool since we're in the in the middle of James. Long story short, at this event. was pledged and given to complete not only the Dela translation, but also two other people groups in Indonesia, the the Riku people and the Lola people. And it's going to help complete six other translations that had been started, but had not yet been able to be completed because of lack of funds. It was amazing. I mean, that's just something to give God praise and glory for right there. I mean, $450,000. So... So why am I saying all that? Um, You know, this is a people group, that that they're in need. And I guarantee you there's orphans there, and there's widows, and there's people who have never heard the gospel. And here we have, we have copies of it, and we're trying to figure out how to do it. These people don't even have a copy. So how are they supposed to do it when they can't even hear it, they can't even see it? So, just do it box. this morning, um, later on. We're, you know, just whenever God leads you at the end of the service or whatever, if you have a 5, a 10, a 20, a penny, and you just feel God leading you to just drop in whatever, every dollar is going to go towards helping translate a New Testament in the book of Genesis for the Dela people. And by the year 2015, it's going to be completed. I know it seems like a long time away, but they're, they're working as fast as they can. We have one other opportunity for you, and I'm going to ask Ginny Davis to come. Ginny and Claude, Claude, who's on staff with us and a team, just got back from the country of Uganda in Africa. And uh, she's going to talk about an opportunity where maybe we can help some orphans. So go ahead.
1: Um, I wasn't supposed to be up here. Claude was going to do this, and he got a cold, pretty good one, and he can't talk right now. So I get the blessing of standing up in front of all you lovely people. So uh, if my knees are shattering, just forgive me. Um, on December 27th, this past year, in, in 2006, Claude, myself, and ten other folks went uh, to Uganda with a team of five people from World Health as well. The team was really inspiring. Uh, it really allowed us to see quite a few things, and it really uh, was very enjoyable as well. We had a great team. I think everybody on the team was changed in some way or another. In fact, we just had a team meeting this past Friday night to kind of close up on everything, and it was wonderful to hear everybody share what God had done in their lives and the things that they remember the most and touched their hearts. The main purpose of this trip was twofold. Uh, first of all, we went to understand what World Help was doing in Uganda, especially in the Palenga area, which is in northern Uganda. And that is the Palenga area is where, uh, back in 2005, our church collected and donated over $40,000. And that money went to those children. Our goal was to determine what World Help was doing in Uganda and how our church could be a part of that in the future as well. Our second purpose was to minister to the children of Uganda um, that are supported by World Help. We toured several facilities. We got a chance to talk with them, to meet with them, to hug them a lot. They sat in our laps, uh, sing with them, play with them. We really had a wonderful time with the children. Uh, World Help is a very solid organization. Uh, Their primary method of operation is to work with the locals and and partner with them in that country. They come alongside uh, and support the efforts of organizations and leaders who are already working with their own people. As a church body, we can be proud of our partnership with World Help. Um, Through our church's involvement and with World Help in Uganda and specifically in the Palanga area, uh, great things are being accomplished for the uh, kingdom of God. We also met several pastors and leaders who are daily giving their lives away for the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual needs of the children and the people of Uganda. We met a man by the name of uh, Alex Metala. He is quite a remarkable person. Uh, he is very strategic and he is working to better his people and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of Uganda. Uh, the people there are very warm, very friendly. You would love them. Uh, I, we would drive down the road and, and people would be doing all kinds of things and you just wave and smile. And whatever they're doing, they stop and wave and smile back at you, almost without exception. Very, very nice. Um, it's a beautiful country. It can support almost any kind of vegetation. It's right on the equator. And, um, but the country has suffered greatly and is still suffering. With uh, 20 years of civil war in northern Uganda and the plague of HIV-AIDS killing the people, Uganda is left with scores and scores of orphans and displaced people who have nothing and who have very little hope. Um, As a continent, as you all know, Africa is being decimated by the AIDS virus, and Uganda is no different. Uh, While Uganda as a nation has made some incredible strides in fighting the disease, Still scores of people die every day, and AIDS is ripping apart the families, leaving uh, pain and misery and hopelessness. Children are left alone and in a destitute state as their mothers, and sometimes both parents are uh, dying of AIDS. If the terrible and lasting effects of AIDS weren't enough, uh, the 20-year battle between government forces and rebel uh, army, known as the LRA, has forced a large percentage of the population of Uganda to collect into refugee camps, especially in northern Uganda. These folks who were once farmers are forced to go to these refugee camps and try to survive and protect themselves against the armies. Um, The LRAs, uh, their strategy in fielding their army has been over the last 20 years to raid villages, capture children, and force them to be soldiers or slaves in their army. The war is at a tenuous ceasefire right now, and this government has the upper hand, which is good news. But the lasting effects on this entire generation of children has crippled this nation and the people. So today we've already heard in James 1.27 that uh, our Father, that God um, accepts it as worship to look after orphans and and widows as well. Uh, We here at New Life have a God-ordained opportunity to apply this word from God. World Help is providing us as a church a means to minister to orphans in Uganda. For $24 a month, you can help a child be able to go to school. Have clothing and have food on a regular basis. Um, Claude and I, as well as Pastor Steve, Pastor Brian, Cindy Schmidt, and many others on staff, and many of you, I'm sure, um, have already started sponsoring children from World Help in different parts of the world. Uh, Think about though: for the price of eating out once per month, you could support a child, and that support is is needed. It's very needed. Um, in the lobby we have a display right outside the door there and after the service if you can come by and see we have a display of pictures from the trip that we had just came back on three weeks ago but most importantly we have a we have child sponsorship packets there where if you wanted to take a packet you can um, become a sponsor for a child in Uganda And we asked them specifically to do just that country at this point. Um, World Help will be back here in September, and I know that we'll be uh, having that opportunity for other parts of the world as well. So if you can, come back and see us there and consider having a chance to bless a child as God has loved you and blessed you as well. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, Jenny. We're, we're about done um, I just want to say uh before before we close out you know d- two two great opportunities to to invest and to give and praise God if you're able to do something and uh, you know I, I don't know what God's saying to you today um, it's his word, so somehow somehow I'm trusting and we've been praying that it will it will speak to each and every each and every one of you in a clear way and um, you know at this point. There's many of you in here who've heard hundreds and hundreds of sermons and messages in your lifetime. You've heard this passage, taught and preached and talked over. You've heard it. You've heard it. You've heard it. You've discussed it. You've talked about it. You've thought about it. You've pondered it. Some of you are here today. You're kind of just getting on the journey. Maybe you've heard the Word of God five times in your lifetime. You've talked about it once or twice. It doesn't matter. It's cool. It, It doesn't matter how many times you and I have heard it or talked about it, or thought about it. The question today, for you and for me, is are you ready to be an applier? Are you ready to be a doer, not just a hearer? And if so, how are you going to be different from this point on? What are you going to begin to do differently as a result of the Word of God changing you? How are you going to be different? What are you going to begin to do differently? Are we really people that are in love with Jesus? Are we really? You need to ask yourself, how much do you really love him? Do you love him with your all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind? And if so, then do what it says. Thanks, man. Just do it. Do what it says. Do what the word of God says. I need to do what the word of God says. We need to be genuine. The fact is that he came to fix our broken lives, and ask the band and the worship team to come on up. We're going to sing a song It says, "I'm madly in love with you, Jesus. I'm madly in love with you." And that's what I want everyone just to take a few moments and just I want you to just let that sink in your heart. How much do you love him? How much do you love him? And if so then let's do what it says. Let's do what the Word of God says. There's power in community. Part of my hope and my prayer is that not only would God do something to each and every one of you, but that we would see each other doing what it says. And and that, that, you know, Bill over here, who's 70, is doing what God says. And then John, who's 50, he sees Bill doing it. And John says, man, I want to do, you know, and then, and then Joe, he's a teenager, and he's like, Wow, look at these, these people are serving God, and they love Him. Man, I want that. And, and then our little kids that watch us, they grow up and they decide that they want to love Him. And they want to do what the Word of God says. And it just becomes a radical movement of followers of Christ getting truly genuine and serious about doing what the Word of God says. And it would be an amazing, amazing thing. So let's respond to him. However, you want to respond, we're going to sing this. Guys, go ahead.